This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Mr. Jamar Bluecheck, verified on Twitter. Tisby, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, Tyler? I host three to four other podcasts, Burns. See, it doesn't have the same ring to it. You know it don't. But that was good. You but came up true. with that on the, on the spot. That was actually pretty good. I'm impressed. So we have another person laughing. We have all the beer for you. You don't have any beer, Jamar. No, just a goatee. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. So you don't have any beer. <laughs> He's making like the one inch symbol with his fingers. Okay, all right. You know how the people that are like, oh, 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 I have that. I have that. You're like, no, you don't. Pastor Aaron James, what's going on, brother? I'm good, man. I'm 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 sitting right here by Jamar, and I'm just saying the aura from from the blue check. It's the glory, bro. You know, I it's, forgot it's my like, deodorant. You today. know what I'm saying? It's I feel it. It's slapping. Right so where we I have to right preface now. everything we say with verified. Okay, uh, yeah, or, it, or the verifiable. Okay, so Jamar is <laughs> the verified. Okay, uh, we have to preface everything by saying you know we're not verified on Twitter. Y'all but what I think yeah. is <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have to preface it with that. Absolutely. So uh, okay. we had to bring Aaron back because he did a monster job on the SBC podcast. BC. Man, so many people have said they've been encouraged and blessed by it, especially that marriage analogy. I was going to say, if you didn't know the marriage <laughs> analogy, listen to that joint all the way through. Right at the end, he just drops the mic. Yeah, we, he left us speechless. I mean, that's, that's literally never happened before. <laughs> that's impressive, man. It's impressive. Man. So we had Aaron back on because... We were in here. We were flowing. We were freestyling. We were getting the vibe right. And we started talking about something called the culture wars. Yes. Jamar, what you want to talk about today? I want to kill the culture wars. Kill. It's it's taking too many casualties so far, man. We got to kill it. So let's talk about what do we mean. And we can all go around and talk about what do we mean by the culture war. When you hear that, it's it's commonly used. What do we mean by that? It's such a complex question concept because it pulls in so many different strands of society, right? So when I think of it, I think of it historically, politically, and uh, really theologically, if you will. Isn't that how Jamar thinks of everything? That's everything. <laughs> Look, triperspectivalism. Y'all you know ain't turned on like, that joint. Like, well, actually, I think about it historically. <laughs> but he says that every podcast, like every he time. just came up with look, it. Look, 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 look. <laughs> I'm just framing it up for folks. Nah, I love it. Um, I love it. Dr. Tisby. But yeah, culture Doctor. wars like late 70s, early 80s uh, really kind of coalesced, although there were lots of strands before. It didn't just pop up out of nowhere, of course. So it really coalesced uh, politically late 70s, early 80s. And it's partly a like a religious movement. You can think of okay. So you're talking about more majority, right? Exactly, of, okay. exactly. Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, those type of cats, 
And they're basically looking at the culture and saying, we're losing the nation. We're losing it morally and ethically. And, and that whole framing, that narrative of declension, that, 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 that somehow society is in decline and something that, that folks once had is going away, that is part and parcel of the culture wars. Hmm. And folks like us, people of color, minorities, marginalized folks would see it very differently. We say, yeah, but we never had the culture. We've always been in a position where right. it's been folks against us. And so, you know, that's part of it, but they mobilized politically to elect officials. And so it's very closely tied to Republicanism and conservatism. Hmm. And so it, it, you know, some of the main battle lines, uh, as I see it would be abortion, same-sex marriage, right. uh, school prayer, um, yeah. you know, traditional, quote-unquote, traditional family, right? right? All of these things kind of get wrapped into quote, it. Quote-unquote values, right. whatever values, that means. Exactly. And so what that means on the ground is people have been discipled into a narrative of the way things should be, which I think is coming from a very narrow perspective. Now, Aaron, what would you say as someone who's been lived in a lot of different places, is this just a Southern thing? Like, where does this come from? Nah, it's definitely not just Southern. It's something that spans across our country. And what's problematic about it is that it creates a combative stance, mm. right? And so instead of engaging the world redemptively, it creates this combative stance and what Craig Blumberg calls a defeatism or even under siege mentality. Mm. And so it, the, 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 the major thrust of the narrative is us versus them instead of us for them. Mm. Mm. There he go again, yeah, bro. I'm telling he just you, started, you know, I'm just gonna shut <laughs> See, up. See, he got warmed. Oh, he got warmed up. <laughs> Y'all in for it? We warned so, you. I, so when we think about this, when it says us versus them, who is the them here? Because we're talking about fighting for values, and on the on that, you know, on the surface of that statement, when we say let's fight for our family, let's fight for values, a lot of Christians will say, why not? Well, who are we fighting? So, so who's the them in this equation? Well, like Aaron said, when you when you have an us against them instead of an us for them mentality, anyone who doesn't fit the model exactly becomes them, becomes exactly. other, yeah. Which is which is fatal, right? Because then if 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 they aren't in your bubble, your social, mm. your theological, your political bubble, they're the enemy. And how can we be salt and light in the world if everyone is our enemy? And we, I mean, how can we love our neighbor right. well if we're we're fearful of the people who are different? Because that's the thing, right? right. It's it's not just that they're different; it's it's a malicious, threatening difference. You know, how weird is it that people would say we are in moral decline, considering the history of our country? Like, can we can we talk about that? Just the the dissonance that is present in the idea that just now, just now in the 20th century, just now in the 21st century, we are in this rapid moral declension. Like what what things stand out to you, Aaron, that you would say, well, duh, we always been in decline. Well, I, I believe that there's a tendency in every generation for that generation to see itself as the center of redemptive history. And so Bruh. when when generations look at themselves oh like that, no, nah, no, nah, stop, stop. Hold up. You got to run that back. Yeah, you got to run that back, bro. All right. Bring it back. So there's a tendency in every generation for that generation to see itself as the center of redemptive history. And so when you think like that, it even affects your eschatology. 
right? And mm. so if if you have this 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 mentality that your generation is the center, then the problems of your day will always have like apocalyptic undertones. It it'll magnify oh, that within every generation. Now, what happens is when you take an honest look at history, I would make the argument, and I talked about this briefly when we're up at Legacy, is that I think about the Civil War. I think about hun- the hundreds of years whereby African Americans or, or, or black people were enslaved in America, right. not being able to see really any end to, mm-hmm. to, to their bondage, any end to their plight. And so it, I, I find it very interesting that even even extending beyond that, where slavery did not really end through through all of the things that, that have been talked about, not necessarily at length, but not enough, whether we're talking about right. Jim Crow, peonage, black, all of those things, codes. convict con- yeah. uh, leasing, all of those things, right? And so we as as people of color, as we have lived within a legacy of marginalization, have always had to have a strong eschatology. There's like a, a built-in hope to right. our existence. When we hear people say things like, um, can, can, can we just do this real quick? So Let's do it. So, Let's do it. So when we hear people say. say things like... Uh, actually, hold on, hold on, okay. because I want to get to that. I want to get to that All in right. a second. I want to get to the idea of what are some of the common culture war phrases Mm-mm. let's let's do that so so you started off and then we'll kind of go around and give some common culture war phrases i'll, I'll go back a little bit further because i have a historian in the room he could back me up oh, here we go here we go <laughs> law and order come on preach it hmm. right law and order and so basically the implication was through American citizens standing up for their rights through very valid civil unrest and things of that nature, instead of seeing it as the result of unjust policies and very real systemic oppression, it was seen as anarchists. Hmm. That's right. You know, and, and so these and so it was a threat to civilization. It was a threat to our way of life. And so yeah. law and order, instead of sympathizing with the black community and the minority community, it was seen as this is a literal this is a danger to our way of life right. and our safety. And I think probably, you know, what what was that? Probably we're, we're knocking on maybe 60 years or so now mm-hmm. where that was one of the first ones that come to my mind. I'll, I'll say one that kind of I hear a lot is. There's a phrase in the South that people say, and I hear it probably every single week, every month. I, I don't know from someone. They'll say everything changed when we took God out of schools. Mm. And I'm like, what? Like, so Christians stop going to schools? Like, is, is that it? Because I thought God was in you. And so I'm just wondering, <laughs> like, did you stop? Like, I don't know. Like, I thought you were supposed to be the representative of God in that sphere. So it, it typically comes with. This idea that public school is government education, there's a lot that we can unpack there that I'll save for another episode. But it's this idea that we we took out the Ten Commandments, we took out prayer, and people still pray in schools, just letting y'all know. But we took that out. And, <laughs> so, <laughs> and so now what happened is this rapid declension of of morality in the next generation. And so now the next generation is worse off than the pre- which we need to talk about that too because that's not true. But anyway, right. well so then I'll just say the big gorilla phrase, right? Uh the big one make America great again. Yeah. I mean the ideology behind that is exactly what we've been talking about that that there's that's some bygone there. there's some bygone era 
where things were good, where America was was this moral and ethical paragon. And because of changes, because of liberalism in society, we somehow lost that and we need to get that back again. Well, and doesn't this run concurrent and parallel with the browning of, you know, <laughs> coincidentally, yes, it's interesting, right? you know, the demographic changes, whether that's through immigration, uh, whether that's through the entrance of black and brown people into previously, you know, forbidden spaces right. uh, in, in politics, in marriage, man. interracial marriage, all of these things, into your neighborhood, into your schools, mm. you know, um, your workplace, your workplace. So all of those things. And 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 that is inimical inimical to the very idea of loving your neighbor mm. and so what we've done is we've saying is we've said well my neighbor is changing and therefore i don't have to love them i can't love mm. them the same way because they're different and they're different in a threatening way my neighbor is changing wow yeah and and that's 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 okay it's not it's it's actually there's strength in diversity there's beauty there so one more phrase i think is really important is isn't it important, and this isn't necessarily a phrase, but just a common thought, that one side of the political spectrum has a monopoly on morality? Can we address that? Because I think that's a common culture war mentality. So one side is perceived as fair and balanced, quote unquote, and the other side is— I see what you did there. <laughs> what? That's just what they say. I, just, I don't know. Is that something big? Is that something I didn't I think I, didn't I heard know. it. I don't know. So anyway, so one side perceives themselves as fair and balanced, and the other side is radical. The other side is progressive. The other side is godless. You know, how, how problematic is it? That we segment morality based upon partisanship. Well, I'll throw in one other phrase that I was thinking of was is pro-life and what that actually means. Oh, boy. Because pro-life typically on, on, on one end of the spectrum actually means anti-abortion. Right, right. But it's not in terms of policy pro-life uh, in terms of like social support systems. Right. It's not comprehensive. Yeah. It's not comprehensive. It's not from womb to tomb. And so that is, as you're talking about the segmenting politically of morality, that's the linchpin issue. So what I guess what you guys are saying is the overarching term that encompasses all of this is evangelical, right? Mm. Yeah. I just said, I just said, tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> right when he was drinking water, I was like, let me do this right now. About to pull an Arsenio Hall in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in some ways, hasn't the term evangelical meant a catch-all that not just theologically you have persuasions, but also that politically there is something that you believe that would fall in line with a culture war? Am I wrong? Sadly, that has become the case, um, whereby that term evangelical is... I mean, it's not a stretch at all to say that we we can lump evangelical, conservative, Republican, and white. All of those and white have been; they're all the same. They're all yeah. connected to one another. And so, and, and so, sadly, taking a word that is actually, you know, uh, from one of my favorite words. So, you know, it's one of my favorite words. So much, so it's tattooed somewhere on my body. You know, uh, wow. that's cryptic, man. <laughs> it's, it's on his arm. It's, it's, it's not. This boy got tattoos. Boy got tattoos. Like, come on, don't leave that one to the Bro. imagination. <laughs> right, right. Talk about culture war. This brother need to stop inking up his body. He ain't read the Bible. Leviticus. There's, there's more canvas that's left. You know, there's more to work with, but. 
taking a word that means good news, the redemptive message of who Jesus is and what he's done, the kingdom that he came to inaugurate, the kingdom that we await for him to consummate, um, Mm. it has been robbed of that rich biblical truth, and it has become another empty term um, that has been co-opted by, uh, you want to say, you call, you know, uh, what's being accused as godless. To me, that's godless. Hmm. Yeah, evangelical as a term has been co-opted by the culture wars. Right. And so, so, go ahead, go ahead. And so it, it, it has become freighted with all of this baggage right. outside of the original meaning of the word, which makes it toxic, which we cannot we cannot separate the toxicity of the term with the most recent presidential election. I mean, that's really what did it. I mean, it was already a controversial deal, especially right. for black Christians, but after the election, when you get that 81% of white evangelicals pulled the lever right. for the current president, that's when I really think people were like, wait a minute, we need to distance ourselves from that term. Right. And then also as well, the shifting of the requirement that leaders in the public sphere be moral or have moral <clears throat> compass and have integrity. That now it's seen that a leader can be personally immoral, but have public you know, utility and still lead. Right. So that those those are just convictions that we're not necessarily pulling out of thin air. These are just documented studies that were that that shows the shift. Right. A very strong shift. Which um, looks like hypocrisy. Right. So what are the consequences of this? Because we were talking about the culture war. We're talking about kind of what what are some of the linchpins? What are some of the, the really popular phrases? What are the consequences that you've seen from the culture war, what are the casualties of, of the war? Um, and I should say, who are the casualties yeah, of the war? I, I would say, um, I, I got a couple I'd like to mention. Number one, uh, J- Jamar mentioned the issue of pro-life. Um, there has been this this really unhealthy, unchrist-like neglect of mothers wow. and their needs, and so and so. Mm. One of the one of the inherent weaknesses of the culture war is that you begin to see the glaring inconsistencies. How can you champion the cause of the unborn child and not champion the cause of the mother carrying the child? That's good. That's good. If you really care for the child, then you have to care for the mother. You have to care for the type of health care that she's getting. You have to care about are her needs being met. You have to take into consideration the situation that she may be in and and the factors pushing her towards a particular decision. Do we really care enough about it? Do we do we really care enough about the 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 child that the mother is loved? And what I found a lot of times with the with the uh pro-life movement, sadly, there's no compassion for the mother. And so you see that kind of inconsistency there. Does that make sense? I think that's one of the things that's lost. And then as a result, I would also say that a reproach is brought upon the name of Christ. You lose credibility when you champion um, when you champion a candidate as moral, who is clearly not moral, and you demonize the one in office before him, mm. who agree or disagree with his politics, who loves one woman, no mm. scandal, none of those things, right. upstanding, and the disrespect and the vitriol that was right. leveled at him, and then the 180 by those same people who, mind you, take pulpits Sunday in Watch and out. Sunday Watch out, out, who champion him as the moral man and God's choice. It 
it makes you look like a joke. It makes you look like a puppet. And so that, that, um, that glaring inconsistency, whether people realize it or not, it is seen and it is seen by both the saved and the unsaved. And so it brings a reproach upon the name of Christ and it hurts right. the cause of the gospel. Wow. Yeah. That boy been saying I a mean, mouthful all goodness. day. Get an extra mic because that one's <laughs> melted right now. Um, you brought up a great question. What and who have been the casualties of the culture wars? I think the big, biggest ca- casualty of the culture war has been love. Hmm. Unpack that because when you say love, I think people have misconceptions about what that means. So when you say love – that seems that sounds weak to people. Mm-hmm. Love in the face of truth, love in the face of orthodoxy. Those words seem to carry more weight. Love in the face of being solid. <laughs> those seem to carry more weight than I love. That right. sounds that weak. I mean, what do you mean by that? Love in terms of empathy and advocacy of the other. Yeah, that's what I would mm-hmm. think. Uh, And I think that's been a casualty of the culture wars because the modus operandi has been to retreat and to demonize. Uh, What what has happened is in the culture wars, if anybody doesn't agree with my ideology uh, or a particular stance on an issue, and and, and that's another problem of the culture wars, the essentials, the list of essentials is getting longer and longer. So the boxes you have to check to be sound, to be orthodox, to be in the group, to be okay is is almost impossible to fulfill. And so if somebody doesn't check all the right boxes, then they are automatically other and not just different. They are a threat. They are right. somehow bad. And so what happens is you've distanced yourself from people who are different than you are. And then that distance creates an antipathy toward the other mm-hmm. person. And so that's where love is the casualty. You can't really love in terms of empathizing and advocating for someone who you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see is happening with the culture wars and people who 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 advocate for some sort of, you know, more uh quote unquote Christian discipleship, um, more Christian community. Right. Those things by themselves are good, but 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 when you take that to mean a further retreat and a building up the walls I think that's I think that's anti-gospel right, in, right. when it comes to loving neighbor. So I would say that that definitely one of the casualties of the culture war. Yeah, that was powerful. But one of the casualties of the culture war would be humility and humility in the sense that. One of the things I've talked about before on the podcast is that we we have this mentality now that if I have orthodoxy and if I agree to these points, and if I affirm these essentials, that I have the ability to have full capacity of knowledge of all things. Mm. So anything that relates to complexity, to nuance, to logic, we tend to draw very, very hard lines rather than recognizing the complexity of humanity. And recognizing that it's very difficult for us to have a full range of knowledge on every single issue. And when we talk about that, we have to talk about the conversation that we're constantly in, which is a conversation about race in America. And one of the things that I've seen is that we struggle because of the culture war, losing arguments. Mm. 
we struggle going into an argument not trying to win it, but going into a discussion trying to win a brother Mm -hmm. or win a sister. Or even just to listen. Or just to listen. Just to help you understand that we love you, not just in word, but in deed, and we'll just, we'll lose. It's okay. Maybe this person disagrees with your favorite pastor. Maybe this person disagrees with your favorite theologian. Maybe this person disagrees with your favorite politician. But we don't have to be tribal. And one of the things we've done is we've had these little guerrilla fights all the time. And it's costing, I think the culture wars are costing friendships at an enormous clip, especially of people of color. And I think all of us could go around and we could list off names of people who we don't have relationship with. And it's not because we don't love them. It's because they have chosen to call us anathema. (laughs) They have chosen to distance themselves from us because of what we believe about privilege, what Mm. we believe about white supremacy. Now, these things are becoming part of the culture war. You can't believe this because this is Marxist and then this is liberal and this is this and this is that. And instead of saying, do you understand the heart of what we're saying? Like, we're not trying to take something from you. We're just trying to get dignity because it's been taken from us. Mm. You know, so so what does that look like in the fact that we have lost so many friendships? And I think it's a lack of humility. And I'll say just to just to build on that, when when you when you saw when you started talking about like we we have to win these arguments, it made me think of Genesis three, mm-hmm. and how the serpent deceived Eve, and he said, uh, "You'll be like God, and you will know good and evil." And I think it's it's that temptation, it's that lure mm-hmm. to be like God in terms That's of good, omniscience bro. and knowledge, and saying, "Well, we believe all the right theological things, therefore." We are godlike, and we cannot be wrong. We cannot be contradicted, right. and 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 that's another victim of the culture wars in terms of humility is that ability to listen to the other, and so what we're often fighting for is just just to be heard as as African Americans yeah. and our experience there. And, and I even think that's so good, Jamar. I even think the framing of winning and losing friendships, I think, is is an inherently privileged American way for me to frame that. Yeah, Because when you think about it, the culture war actually costs lives. That's right. That's right. Human beings. Human beings die and don't get justice because of the culture war. It's not just like, oh, you know, the people who are in a middle class tax bracket and those of us who live in a relatively safe area and have all of our needs met. Somebody blocked us. Oh, (laughs) That's important, but I think that's privileged. Right. You know, when we think about it, I mean, people are dying. People are dying attempting to come into the country with help that we can provide because we won't because they're an other. People are dying on the streets at the hands of police brutality and violence and not receiving justice consistently because of the other, because we can't be found as agreeing with so-and-so, with Reverend whoever and sister whatchamacallit. So we're sitting here and we're we're losing human beings created in the image of God. So I have to even backtrack from what I said. I, you know, man, we're losing lives. People are literally dying because of this. That's what I was thinking as you so, were speaking. Like blood, yeah, has literally been shed over this issue. That's that's a serious thing. And it cries from the ground. And it cries from the ground. Um, when you create a category of other. One of the first things that you have to do is dehumanize. Mm. I can't see you as fully human 
if you are an other. And all we have to do is take a daily sample of the rhetoric that is employed to describe other people, to rob people of their humanity. As a matter of fact, I remember one person in particular on a major news network describing protesters as subhuman. Mm. That was the word. Wow. That yeah. was the word. And and I was appalled. But at the same time, I'm like, well, well thank you for playing your cards, you, you know, right. for, for us to see clearly, you, you know, what, what you're about. And so the danger in robbing people of their humanity, if you look throughout history, one of the first things you have to do, and, and, and I say this not just as, as a pastor, but I say this as, as, as a military veteran, a war veteran, one of the first things you have to do before you can soothe your conscience or, or, or deal with um, in, in taking the life of another human being is you have to deny them their humanity. Wow. And so once humanity is denied, it becomes easier to take life. And I just can't help but to see, um, you know, I could, I could be absolutely wrong, but I just can't help but to see, in my estimation, a correlation between this continued attack and degrading of humanity and the taking of life. Wow. Yeah. And, That's and, so true. Go ahead. I mean, it, to be specific, right, the, the casualties, because you said what and who. So if we talk about who have been the casualties of the culture wars, it's African-Americans, Um, Because when we talked earlier about law and order, often those so-called anarchists were people of color. They were black and brown people, particularly in the cities, right? Um, Some of these policies that are not genuinely or robustly pro-life, who do they affect? They affect the poor and they affect uh, black and brown people who are disproportionately poor in this nation. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of of even more contemporary uh, uh, casualties, like folks who are, are... lesbian and homosexual and and gay folks who are transgender like the the culture wars have made it such that we can't even affirm the humanity of folks come on without your orthodox being questioned and 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 i that is anti-christ that is anti-love right where we can't even just say look we may have a different lifestyle we may affirm different things in terms of ideology but you are a person made in the image of god boom Final word. That's it. Yeah. And because of we that, don't have to put qualifiers. You, we don't have that. to put any None. qualifiers on it. And and because you are a person made in the image of God, you are entitled. You have a right to be treated a certain way. Yeah. And Christians ought to be at the forefront in modeling that kind of treatment and that kind of love. So the casualties are all of these people who have been labeled other. And if we actually name them, they're 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 folks who are made in the image of God too. Right. And so that their blood is crying from the ground. So so what's the alternative here as we close? If we don't want the culture war, if we want to kill the culture war, what do we replace it with? And, you know, we're going to do a whole nother episode on the flip side of the culture war because I think we're, we're perceiving this from one side, but there's also a, a culture war from a more progressive stance as well, which, which is worthy of stiff critique in the same way. Because they often fall into the same issues. Absolutely. So I just want to let you know, you know, it's not just one particular side, but most Christians, particularly in the South, tend to fall on this one side. So what do we replace the culture war with? If we're going to kill the culture war, what do we do? In Matthew 9, I think verses 35 to 38, Bible says that Jesus looked at the masses of people. He saw that they were they were broken. Yes. They were like sheep, sheep who have no shepherd. shepherd. Mm. And the word of God says he was moved with compassion. Yes. yes. 
that term is is it's a very interesting term because it means that you feel something like like in your bowels, the very core of your being. And so the Lord was moved with compassion towards these people. He saw their condition, and and then he began to he, he began to uh, speak to his followers and said, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send workers into the harvest." And here's what I found: you. If you don't recognize the humanity of an individual, you're not going to carry that group or you're not going to carry that person into your prayer closet. If you don't carry that person into your prayer closet, prayer and intercession is where compassion is birthed. You will not actively engage and compassionately reach people that you have not prayed and wept over in the presence of God. You just won't. The Lord births compassion. He births compassion within us. Um, I believe that's one of the places that it predominantly happens is yeah. in our prayer classes when we pray for people. And then from there, we're able to take action. And even though we may not have all the answers, even though there are things that genuinely make us uncomfortable and, 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 and we may not do or say everything right, we have the, the, the grace to continue to engage, to persist in that engagement right. and build a relationship. Um, um, because we know, look, let me just let me just say this very clearly. The Lord is saving transgender people. That's good, bro. That's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. And 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 so the, the Lord is saving people from every people group, not only in terms yeah. of ethnicity Praise and God language. Yeah. The Lord is saving folks from every type of lifestyle and background. And so we got to stop acting like uh, uh, salvation is just for our tribe and just for our, our, our uh, group. That's good. Yeah. And so and so I, I I would start there. I think that yeah. is really important. I don't that's want to really preach. Good. I got. Let me stop. Let me, <laughs> you was about to, bro. Uh, uh, in terms of what's the alternative to the culture wars, I really think it's sacrificial proximity. Mm. How do you counteract the cloistering that the culture wars have created? Right. You actually have to go out. You got to go outside of your boat. You got to go toward the other. And yeah. so they become less of the other and more of your neighbor. Mm. And I say sacrificial proximity because it's not gentrifying other people it's not gentrifying other communities watch out now which 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 would imply i go into this new area but i make it just like the old one i came from ah. we don't honor what's there come on bro. we don't honor the richness and the diversity and the value that's already there so it's sacrificial because you're going toward communities and you're taking on their burdens and so you start to get hit with some of the same darts they do because you're identifying with them right which is exactly what jesus christ did with us and so it's sacrificial in that sense but it's proximity because we we can never love people who we don't know Right. And so how do you know to know them? You have to move toward them. And just as Christ initiated the relationship with us, we as Christians have to initiate the relationship with other people mm-hmm. to move them from this 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 subhuman thing to an actual person made in the image of God who yeah. can love and pray over. So sacrificial proximity. Jesus made it clear, man. That's a good term, man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself, yourself, man. I think we have to get back to the way of Jesus, not just an evangelical way, not just a Western Christian way, not just a conservative way, not just traditional family values. We need to get back to the way of Jesus. May the Lord help us to do it, man. Amen. Amen.
This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.